When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. Hello and welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. If you're just tuning in, the Betches Up Podcast is your daily rundown of all the craziest shit going on in the news, brought to you by your two funniest friends. Which is us. Which is us. Gonna start with some uh, picking up where we left off yesterday uh, with the Massachusetts primary, which Senator Ed Markey, as expected, has won. He held on to a seat in Massachusetts yesterday, beating a challenge from Joe Kennedy Third. This is the first time a Kennedy has ever lost the statewide race there. Cue Taylor Swift's The Last Great American Dynasty. Um, this was widely expected. It was so funny, Caitlin, this morning. I just saw a headline. It was a Politico headline that was like, Joe Kennedy's loss has successfully freed his family name from decades of, uh, of expectations. And I was like, men, even when they lose, they win. <laughs> it's very true. And um, I mean, like, he, he was leaning really hard into the dynastic aspect, which I yep. think uh, like massively misreads the moment, which is not pro-monarchist, weirdly. Um, <laughs> Weird. It's like, I mean, running on like the fact that your family has been doing this for a really long time, it, in a moment of like massive upheaval in which we're seeing like the, the leadership of our country overwhelmingly engage in endless forms of nepotism and corruption, feels like maybe that was the the missing piece of resonance there um although marky has uh i mean incumbent right uh Mm -hmm. did a great job of reaching out uh to demographics that normally um you would expect to align with kennedy new uh fresh young the whole the whole deal right Um, yeah yeah this seems like an inversion of some of the things we've seen recently, which is like a young progressive primary challenge to a more moderate incumbent, whereas this time it was like a younger. Honestly, like I'll admit, I didn't even hear that much about Joe Kennedy's policies because there was so much focus on just like if he would win this race and if he had a right to run it. Um, but I think this does. What's interesting about this is that it sort of reframes this like progressive movement as it's not just generational. Like you just had a 74-year-old who wrote the Green New Deal handily win his his reelection. Yeah, and I think that it's really important that um as as there's like a very intense desire to reframe everything that happens in our politics through 2016 um which I am like firmly 
I, I totally understand. Like, I, I'm still, I don't think I'll ever stop reckoning with the trauma of that year. That, that year, that's like a permanent one. It's on the permanent record, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah. But it's also a real mistake because it continues to view, like, very simply as like loyalist moderates versus uh, res- like revolutionary leftists. And like, that's not always the, the framing on anyone's politics and understanding that people have goals and they're willing mm-hmm. to do certain things. So like what we're seeing is actually a mixture of like tactics, not, you know, and, and goals rather than uh, this kind of like identitarian definition where like automatically if you're like a certain age or a certain background, you're automatically not progressive. Right. Um, and, and so it's like, no, this is really about defining what we want our politics to look like. And there are people who've been doing this for a long time and yeah, they've made mistakes. That's the nature of politics. Even the people that you adore are going to do things that are, you will disagree with mm-hmm. and they might be just wrong. <laughs> they're going to have to live with that. But in the end, you know that they're going to try to learn and get better. And Marky was basically offering, like, I'm going to continue doing this work and I have the connections and understanding to move us forward. And I was one of the people who was writing this stuff and putting it together because I'm forward thinking. I'm trying to solve the problems of the future. And people are excited by that. And Joe Kennedy's pitch was more about his family legacy, which, I mean... (sighs) Given the whole uh, situation around Me Too and the slow but determined understanding to reframe how past men right. have abused power, perhaps running on the Kennedy legacy was not the best idea in 2020, right. but hey. Totally. Yeah, we have, um, I'm not sure if we've, we've mentioned on the podcast yet, but we have a new podcast coming out that Brian's doing with SUP on dynastic nepotism called uh, Do You Know Who My Dad Is? And they're basically exploring <laughs> all of those, like a family each time. And just like, you know, we're all like generally aware that the world around us is like, we don't, a lot of us don't have control over how we ascend and like, a lot of the world, a lot of people in high-ranking positions, it it does not take much research to learn how they got them, and it's just like such a a web. So yeah, I agree. There's like a much more skeptical skeptical lens on that. Like when we call when we say like yes, queen, we don't mean we want more dynasties. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing too because like Americans love the British royal family, but like that's yeah. because they belong to Britain. Yeah. Like it's kind right. of like a fascination, like, wow, like your neighbor's house where they like put some really weird stuff up and you're like, that's weird. It's kind of cool, but I wouldn't do it. I know. It's house, like, right. It's, it's like cool. I kind of like looking over there and seeing what they're doing with their weird interior design. Records right. It's like walls. running cool. away from home and then being like, oh, I really miss that place. They're so cool. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. Pretty much. Uh, also in the news this morning, so the president ignored pleas from local leaders not to visit Kenosha, Wisconsin yesterday, uh, where tensions continue, but they had begun to heal. And I think they, they still are. I don't think we saw any really um, extreme tensions, although people definitely did flock to the city to support the president's visit. And there was concern about how that would end. Um, the president met with law enforcement officials and burned out businesses. The owner of One Burned Down a Camera Shop camera shop. He declined to meet with the president outside of his business. He was like, I don't want you to politicize this. You know, what happened is not about politics. Obviously, in reference to some of the unrest that's happened there, there have been, there's been some damage. But instead, the Trump team 
found the business's former owner uh, who represented himself as the current owner for a photo op and interview uh, with Donald Trump. Yeah. I Rift. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, everything about Donald Trump is terrible. Um, I mean, like, he, he uh, repeated his perspectives that shoot, cops shooting civilians... I, I mean, the number of times does matter, but like the cops shooting civilians at all should not be represented as equivalent to making a mistake on your uh, on the back nine, right? Um, on a on a golf course, probably not. Um, of course, he didn't meet with the family. Although, like, I would have been very surprised if he'd been interested at all in right. meeting with the fa- like. It, it was one of those things where, like, why would the family want to meet with him? Yeah. And why would he want to meet with the family? And, like, I know that we're very used to it as, like, this kind of yeah. presidential, like, empathy thing. But we already know where Donald Trump is. Like, like it's been this way for a long time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, been, I was thinking about this this morning. And it's like, we know that something like 42% of Americans are Trump's base. And they're not going to move. And, like... I was I, I had this like revelation this morning that I was like I think that there's been many times where I've been like, oh my God, I never thought it could be this bad. But a lot of people did. Like I think someone like I don't think like are you surprised by his actions and how bad this is and how extremely aberrant his behavior has been? No. Yeah. No. I mean uh I you the I kind of like trying to figure out how to like frame yeah. it, but like you know, first, as a black person, I was never experiencing the America that everybody else loves to talk about, where we're, like, full of justice and, like, niceness to each other. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, number one. Number two, like, I think there were a lot of people who really treated, and uh, to go back to the fact that, like, 2016 is a perpetual wound in our politics, um, you know, there are a lot of people who treated Donald Trump as not threatening. As, like, he's going to disrupt stuff. Like, it, we've gotten so used to using the word disrupt um, and, of course, allowing uh, violent capitalism to continue to construct the idea that disruption means positivity when it usually means sucking resources out of a space that has previously been yeah. protected by um, regulation. And so people were like, yeah, we're going to disrupt. And I was like, that set of words right there is the exact set of concepts like some of these norms are actually really important they've been degraded over time and knowing that donald trump is this threat to the country you know hillary clinton ran around the country basically being like he's a threat he's a threat he's a threat he's a threat hey we're gonna get people who watch nukes they'll say he's a threat we're gonna get people who like you know from she, she went like everywhere to everybody and was like hey if you have any decency at all do you mind saying that donald trump is a threat and the people were like yes we will absolutely yes. agree to say that donald trump is a threat a fundamental existential threat to the republic barack obama said democracy is on the ballot michelle obama in her speech this year even mentioned like i do recall saying this like she was basically like yeah. did you did i i know i didn't misspeak the first time but again this is an existential threat to our country yeah. So people have been saying it, yeah. I bet there were, like, national security experts who have been, like, reached out to 
who are like, would you like to join a list of these hundreds of Republicans who have denounced Trump? And they're like, I did in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. And I think that's one of the problems is that, like, again, the perspective on Trump is so limited to, like, Trump, right? Instead of us having this broader discussion about, like, what is the purpose of representative government? And does Trump fit into any kind of paradigm in which representative government can survive? And the answer is no. And that was very obvious from the outset back in 2015 when he came down the escalator and was like, yep. people of Mexican background are basically all criminals. And I was like, mm. I know. Yeah. I yeah. saw this tweet that said, uh, Trump in 2016, I can shoot somebody in the street and nothing would happen to me. Trump in 2020. And so can you. <laughs> and it's fine he says hey american fever dream listeners i'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on etsy gift mode on etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion and it's easy you just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So yesterday in Kenosha, Trump... um, had the lack of self-awareness to describe the unrest in American cities uh, as domestic terror. Let's talk about this. Um, There is plenty of domestic terror going on right now. There are lots of alarm bells going on about it right now, but it is not coming from social justice protests. Let's start with QAnon. The FBI labeled QAnon a terrorist group. They're getting arrested in some places, elected in others. Uh, reports came out last week that apparently national security officials were told not to use white supremacy in reference to domestic terrorism threats when speaking to the president, that he would not hear that, and that if they wanted any success whatsoever in discussing counterterrorism, they could not refer to it as having anything to do with white people. Uh, Former top Department of Homeland Security expert Elizabeth Newman, who worked in uh, counterterrorism, has spoken about this in recent weeks, done some interviews, and, you know, this was her job, is to say there is white nationalists 
terrorism happening now. We need funding to address it. We need, we need to come out against it hard. And the only re- way the administration would agree to fund those efforts is if it was just referred to vaguely as like extremism. They wouldn't accept it if it had anything to do with with white domestic terrorism that the president is obviously like inspiring. But it's like you said, it's like a norm would be like, of course you denounce this, even if it is. I mean, it's like we have these memories of John McCain, you know, saying during the rally, you know, no, Barack Obama is not a Muslim. And um he, that seems so impressive today, and, but like that was that's that's the bare minimum. There was a time where that was the bare expectation, and even worse, just to get into a little bit, that was also massively Islamophobic. Exactly, like, we should also mention that that bare minimum that threshold that he crossed was only impressive to people who are not marginalized, because yeah. by nature, what he said was, "No, this person." is not representing this marginalized identity that's being attacked as extreme and violent. This person, instead of saying the, that identity is not extreme and violent and they should be accepted as American, as American as you and I, regardless of religious background, he was like, no, nah, not part yeah, of for that sure. group. And so yeah. like that, that reinforced the notion that that's something to be afraid of. I also want to go back right to the same time, 2008, 2009, there was a Department of Homeland Security report that was released in um, January of that year or January, February, that basically was like, hey, um, white nationalism is the greatest growing threat to national security. And it was basically like, this is on its, its route, especially when Barack Obama became nominee, there was a massive upswing in white supremacy. Um, he was one of the first, he got, he was the, he still remains the earliest uh, presidential candidate to receive, even if he was just uh, in the primary, he received Secret Service protection because the threat to his life was so high. Um, He received four, within his first year, he'd already received more threats on his life than George W. Bush received over eight. And that man started a war. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like when you think about it, like it was very dangerous for him to do what he did. And, at the time that we released this, the report was released, Republicans shouted it down, demanded an apology, and Barack Obama was forced to issue one and retract the report. So, oh like, my this has been a problem for, oh, well, long, a <laughs> very, very long time. It is, yeah. it, and that's why I talk about, like, oh, you know, Donald Trump, it should be easy to denounce. John McCain didn't denounce it. John McCain attacked Acorn. You know, yep. John McCain you know, undermined community organizing. He did not tell national security, okay, no, I'm going to stand up for Barack Obama here and say, the man's president, if this is a threat to our country, we should take it seriously. If John McCain had used his clout to do that, possibly we would have a coordinated response for a decade before Donald Trump took over because there would have been funding and there would have been attention and there would have been interest in keeping this down before he got there. And it's possible he would not have become president because it would have been actually focused upon by law enforcement instead of black identity extremists, which is an actual classification for Black Lives Matter at the FBI. So something that really, that's unbelievable. Something that really strikes me about this too, is that white nationalism and white supremacy, it's a a global issue. It's happening in parts of Europe. It's it's happening. It's really a threat in Germany. Like it's some scary shit everywhere. And there's no 
arguing against the fact that Donald Trump is uh, stoking the flames in this country and that his entire, all of his success is based off of it. Um, but like, it's, you've got to be pretty self-absorbed to be like, well, I, if you say that it's white nationalism, that has everything to do with me. So we cannot possibly, it's like, it's not even all about you, man. Like it's a global thing. It's happening everywhere, but he can't even grasp that. Yeah, I mean, his selfishness is is unparalleled, but uh, it's also really important to emphasize that um, Donald Trump is a white supremacist. Yeah. He is. He is, and he believes his role is to enforce that with the powers of the presidency, in addition to all of the grifting and, and uh, stealing he does from the United States taxpayers, the main purpose he believes for this country is that it was meant to be the dominion of white men and that, that America's power and its projection of power overseas is to reinforce that across the globe. So when he does think it's all about him, it, it comes back to the idea that he believes that America is really a white supremacist nation designed to spread and entrench white supremacy wherever mm -hmm. it finds it. And you find the same autocratic supremacist language, even in countries where white supremacy is not a major cultural force. Um, Philippines, uh, well, mm -hmm. Brazil, yes, white supremacy is a major cultural force, but it doesn't look the same way as it does in Europe and, and the United States. Um, you know, like the, this kind of decision ends because there's so much heft behind the United States. So yeah. he thinks of this, uh, you know, le état es moi. Um, that is, you know, a terrible French. Um, it's <laughs> the state is I am the state, and that's from Louis the the Fourteenth, I believe. And he was basically like, there is no, there is nothing separate from like if I say something, that's the state. All of France uh, is yeah. agreeing with right. me, and Donald Trump believed that from the beginning. He is the United States. Yes. So, and, yeah. yeah. And I think that like when we're talking about white supremacy, white supremacy is like a belief system, but it's also like the, a way of organ, the way that a lot of our society is already organized. And I feel like the way that he gets away with it sometimes is, I mean, the dog whistles are gone. He says it straight out, but everything he's doing is to preserve the white supremacy that already exists. And so people that don't see that excuse that because they, they don't see him pushing explicitly white nationalist uh, rhetoric, which he does. He does anyway. But yeah. we've just been getting so many like questions from followers and audience members, like well-meaning, and we're definitely going to do this, but just like desperate, desperate requests for us to tell them how to answer their Trump supporting relatives when they say things. And well, we're going to provide that, but it's like, this is all publicly available information. It's like, how many times do we have to, what do you mean? He's not racist. Like, what do you mean? Fucking Google it. Yeah. Yeah. And <sighs> it's, it's also really important for people not only to take the initiative and figure out how to, how to talk about it, but also figure out how to get people in your life who are going to spout something like that to interrogate the roots of their own ideas. You know, point, yeah. make them make it explicit that what they what they want, because a lot of the times what happens that plausible deniability that, you know, I don't I don't believe I don't believe there's any plausible deniability as a black person. I don't have any space to give it, uh, If I allow white supremacists to have a point, then by definition, I'm degrading my own humanity. That is just how yeah. it goes. I don't ha I have to I'm constantly negotiating that. But 
as as white people, you know, you there's an incredible temptation, very strong to because you love someone to give that slack and say maybe they don't mean this. They do. So you need to get them to understand what it is that they are agreeing to say. And then if that's going to be who they agree to be, yeah. because they, they're denying it to themselves. They do not want to admit that this is the thing that they want. And if you get them to admit to you and vocalize, I think this country is only for white people and only white people should benefit. And maybe if black people agree with that concept, they get to benefit too. Although it didn't seem to help Herman Cain. Right. Anyway, right. Oh, yeah. you know, then, then at least you have your stakes and you can explain to them, like, look, you guys, this is, I can't participate in that if that's who you want to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then I think you're going to have to point. find out yeah. the strategies. Right. I think, yeah, we're going to sort of create resources for that. But I think that's an important part of it is to like ask people to ask themselves, well, why do you think that? I have, you know, friends, male ones that like to sort of point out that SUP has a strong, I call it a perspective. Um, He calls it an agenda. And I'm like, okay. He's like, but everybody has an agenda. Like, and and it's true in the media, you can, you can frame things any way you want to, to get your perspective or your agenda through. And like, and you know, these are the people that are always in our comments about like, but what about this fact when I've just listed 12 facts and then they just have one more. And like my response to that is now, I think people should ask themselves, like, I think it's telling about you which agenda you are inclined to believe. Like when you're given two sets of facts and one says people are in pain and people are suffering because of these particular circumstances and you have plenty of evidence and then somebody gives you the counter evidence that is less abundant, but has been, you know, squeezed to look a certain bit. Like, I think you should ask yourself, why do you, why are you leaning? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, a, it's a famous, like HuffPost headline was like, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. <laughs> like, I, I don't, that, that's what it comes down to. Like you, of course there are, everybody has, a lot of people have an agenda. That's, that's, I don't want to say that's how it works, but like, when you're trying to explain a situation, you're already prone to explain it a certain way. And I'm not even talking about like concealing facts. Like that's not something I ever do. But yeah, there, there are plenty of things you can find on the internet that seem to justify right-leaning perspectives. But there are so many, you know, they're canceled out so effectively. And yeah, that's, I'm, I'm just, I've lost patience with people being like, but what about this? The devil's advocate. I'm like, you need to ask yourself why you are so resistant to all of the compassionate information over here and why you're deciding to stay over here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also the, the devil is a needed advocate. No, okay? exactly. Devil's devil. <laughs> devil was working every day. Right. That, is, that is how that would be said, you know, um, by like my aunt. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't need you to call the devil's union rep for this conversation. <laughs> Today's episode of American fever dream is brought to you by newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. 
You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Should we talk about evictions for a few minutes? Yeah. I mean, it kind of fits in with like the compassionate concept, True. right? Because, um, you know, it feels like one of those things that surface level is extremely compassionate. Um, CDC going out of its way to use its emergency powers under the Public Health Service Act of 1944, back when we had a government, um, the, to uh, basically ordered a halt on all pandemic-related evictions nationwide, um, basically saying, like, mm, if everybody gets thrown out of their homes, we're all going to die. Um, I mean, that's not the official statement, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, it's I call it close. a historic threat to public health. So yeah. I feel like throwing people out of their houses and everyone's going to die is a pretty yeah. good summary of that. Um, Previous history making public health events did involve a great deal of death. Yes, yes. Um, so right now, uh, there are like lots of, but you know, devils in the details, speaking of that uh, pesky person again. Um, you know, in the details, it's, you know, you've got to have tried to find employment or other financial support. You can't make more than $100,000 a year. I think that's reasonable, but also when you're looking at rents in certain areas, LA and New York, I'm thinking about people who might have just lost a job, and so that number does not, like, yes, in theory, they should be fine, but are they? Yeah. If um, you're a single income home in an expensive area with a, with a family that you support, yeah, that can, that can go pretty quickly. Yeah, that, that, that collapses pretty fast. Um, you also would need to attest that eviction would likely leave you homeless or force you to live with others in close quarters, which in New York, what, what does that mean? What is, I mean, right? we're, all, <laughs> I, we're all stacked on top of each other. We're like firewood. I don't know, right? Like, <laughs> quarters, what does that mean? What is, right. I'm already in close quarters. <laughs> I was going to say, there are like five of us in like one bedroom apartment. Right, you're like, about what are to you just reopen gyms. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, really. Um, this will apply to 30 to 40 million people. Uh, it doesn't address what happens to landlords who can't recoup the rent. There are smaller landlords who obviously do need that. 
I would like to point out that um, very small percentage. Yeah, the vast majority of private landowning in New York is held by corporations. Do not cry for that landlord. Okay, unless yeah. it's a single building and they're it's owner occupied. Please do not feel bad for your landlord at the end. Um, yeah, and I feel but- like there are fewer few enough sort of small family owned buildings that the government could figure out how to go out of their way to support them too. Yeah. I mean, New York actually has two separate classifications Mm -hmm. for that. So just in case you're from New York, and that's the state, by the way, not just um, the city, there are different classifications for your landlords. So you can determine whether or not you feel bad for them um, based off of that. Amazing. Um, But but, uh, the biggest problem, I have a friend who uh, has worked in housing for like a really long time, and she's basically like, there's no rent assistance. There's no nothing. Like, there's nothing. To like support or buttress people, it doesn't keep people from accruing rental right. debt at all. So it's you, not a you're rel- still it's barely owing, relief. Exactly, you, you're still going to end up owing hundreds or thousands of dollars at the end of this. We don't know. There's no plan whatsoever to contain the pandemic, which is fundamentally the problem. So we don't know how long this is going to go on for. Um, and there's, there's not going to be any compassion whatsoever once this is done. And you can tell because it wasn't done very thoughtfully, which is the mark of the Trump administration, not caring about people. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Elise wrote in the newsletter this morning. I was like, I didn't know the CDC could do this. Honestly, I have some suggestions for them. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I think obviously there's a huge, people will be home insecure and not have shelter if they don't have, you know, relief from rent. But like you said, for a lot of people, I mean, having stress about money, which I, I, I don't know if this is official statistic, but I would say a majority of Americans do, is just not good for quality of life. Not at all. Especially, you know, in the I mean, when you just look at how other countries have supported people, and we're at a point where like barely anyone's getting any support at all. There's no stimulus bill. It's 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 very strange how we've just sort of moved on, and 185,000 people are dead, and they keep dying. Yeah, another thousand like, every day. There every were day. 1,200 infections, positive infections at the University of Alabama alone. I I just I live in I I have. Okay, so last week it was my birthday. Yay, me. Anyway, Yay. um, and I like took the time off and I like lived in outside of like the, the Twitterverse and, and the news bubble. And then I come back in and like every, it's like even every time I leave and come back, it gets worse. I was like, what in the world made people think that this was a good idea? We're talking about infections in children being like, children being massive spreaders and carriers, even mm-hmm. if they themselves don't get sick. I mean, what a surprise. Anyone who's been around a small child, petri di- they are they are human shaped petri dishes. Why oh yeah. Lick things. They just they just lick things. Like just Everything. themselves, other people. <laughs> Why would you do this? Yeah. And I said this in a past episode, but like college is so foul, you have to get new vaccines to go there. Yes. Like don't be sending kids sh- back to college. Booster shot. You have to like have a list of all your recent immunizations. There are, there are like meningitis <laughs> is like I- just at college because kids are gross and they shower together. Re- remember having to wear shower shoes because it's unsafe to no, no. You'll get like right. ringworm. You knows what you'll get. You'll get like it'll be like black plague. You'll be like, how did that happen? There are definitely like cafeteria at the <laughs> University of Alabama who are like, I'll wear flip flops in the shower, but I won't wear a mask. 
Oh my god. 100%. Now, of course, we're we're in a bad place. So like in in a way like everything that they offer feels like it, it feels like a a band-aid on a bullet wound. It is an unwilling it's not even that. It's like they offered you a scrap of gauze. It's not even if it's like fold over twice. You're just there being like, just cover that. It's like already soaked through. You're like, All Yeah, right, it's like then. you you just go to the counter and you ask for the thirty fifth time how much longer and there's like another fifteen minutes. Another fifteen yeah. minutes, another fifteen minutes, and you're charged money for every hour you have to sit there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just a yeah, hellhole. It feels it feels nightmarish. And that's our yeah. government right now. Yay. Yeah. Anyway, maybe in a couple months we can do something about it if we're if we're still rigorous. Okay, that's our show for today. Until the return of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. Betches.